Welcome to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. Over the next 20 minutes, our goal is to dig deeper into the themes and topics of the most recent Sunday teaching. We'll look to tackle some of the challenging kinds of questions that you may be thinking as you heard the message but didn't get the opportunity to ask the teacher at the time. This podcast works in conjunction with our weekly Beyond the Sermon devotional. If you don't receive those already, you can sign up using the link in our podcast show notes. So whatever you're doing right now, at the gym, driving, folding laundry, whatever it might be, we invite you to listen in as together we go Beyond the Sermon. Welcome, everyone. My name is Will Heron. I'm the Director of Discipleship at The Ridge, and I'm also your host for Beyond the Sermon. And with me today, I have Ridge Lead Pastor Mike Van Rees. Mike, welcome. Yeah, thanks, Will. Yes, good to have you, Mike. So, Mike, after a break for the Walk Sunday, uh, you had us back in Luke chapter 3 with John the Baptist, and there's some key themes you brought out of verses 21 to 38, which we'll explore over the next 20 minutes here. But I'd like to begin with the subject of baptism uh, if, if anyone's been here at the Ridge for any length of time, they're going to have seen us baptizing folks either in the tub, you know, at the front of the church, which my kids really enjoy when that happens, or uh, even more fun, out in the pond with the fish or whatever, whatever lives in the pond. Whatever. Frogs, there's, <laughs> there's amphibians in there. Yes, there is. So you're not alone when you're getting baptized, folks, <laughs> uh, but it's fun. Um, but can I ask a quick question before I jump in here? Going back a few years in Ridge history... Is it true that you once got into trouble with the authorities for doing baptisms? Is that actually true? <laughs> I'm not sure where you heard about that, Will. It wasn't for me. But yes, it is true. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, the, f- the fun story, when we started, no building, no land, you know, the property wasn't there. And so we were meeting in the school. So where do you do baptism? We said, well, we're just going to do baptism in a public park. So we did, found a pond and brought people there. One year, so we did this multiple multiple years, typically in the summer, and one of the years as we were doing that, yes, the local authorities, police cars drive oh, up, they come in, what's going on here? Um, and they weren't thrilled about it. Right. And so I talked to them about it and said, well, here's what we're doing and explained it to them. And they're like, well, do you have a permit? Nope. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't think John the Baptist needed a permit. Yeah. Um, I right. don't think it worked that way. So. They still let us do the baptisms and that kind of thing. But it is really nice to have a place where we can do that now without having to check with all the authorities and getting the permits and doing that kind of thing. So, yes, yes we had quite a quite an experience that year. Man, what a fun story. And especially for those who are being baptized. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was memorable. Yeah. Well, I've, I've had the privilege of attending or, or working at different church denominations over the last number of years. And I know baptism is an area where there can be different views in the church. You know, for some, maybe they were baptized as a baby with a sprinkling of water. Others were baptized when they're older by submersion. Should we do it? How should we do it? I know that's a, that's a bit of a loaded question, but we've got yeah. time. Yeah, I'm thinking, so you really want to go there? Yes, yes. This is what the podcast is all about. (laughs) All right, all right. I'll say this. I'm not sure quick recap is a fair (laughs) way to talk about how and when of baptism. Two minutes, two minutes, Mm go. (laughs) I had to write like a 20-page term paper when I was in seminary over something like that. So we'll see what we can do. Okay. I'd start with this. Probably the most significant central thing when it comes to this issue of baptism is baptism doesn't save. Mm. When that gets confused, then everything goes sideways. Really clear. Jesus said it, right? John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Baptism doesn't save. 
Jesus saves. Mm -hmm. So as we have this conversation, I think it's really important to keep that in mind because baptism gets off and it's gotten off historically with the church and it gets off with Christians when it gets equated with salvation. Baptism is a sign. It's a symbol. It's not an act of salvation. Okay. To give maybe a, a context and a perspective, I think it'd be helpful to share the history of infant baptism. Okay. Um, history is important to be able to realize it didn't just come out of thin air. It's not something that we just thought up in our generation. Uh, where it originated, and this is baptism, adults, infants, the whole deal, we'd trace it all the way back to the Old Testament and say the origins of it are really in Abraham. And God and Abraham, when God said, hey, I'm going to bless you, going to work through you, going to give you uh, a nation, we're going to have a special relationship. And then God says to Abraham, and I want to mark this with a special symbol. And that symbol was circumcision. Interesting to note, Abraham wasn't the one who got to pick that symbol. Right, right. <laughs> he was told that's what it's going to be. And from then, it was on the eighth day. Right, we're going to do this with your kids, and they're going to be just growing up. Eighth day, circumcision happens. That's going to show that you're a part of the community of God and what he's doing, a part of the grace of being able to be a part of that family. So that's how it went for you know, 1,500, 1,600 years. And we get to Jesus. Things change. Colossians 2 is the passage in the Bible that, that really kind of um, plays this out. But one of the things that it talks about, a lot of things change with Jesus. And one of the things is this symbol of circumcision. Colossians 2 talks about it now being baptism. Mm. Um, and the reason for that is because no more blood needs to be shed. Mm. Circumcision was a sign that involved pain and blood on behalf of the person. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done. And so the change in the sign is one where baptism, and that reminds us of what he's done. The water is a reminder of the blood that he shed mm. for us. So the sign is pointing toward him, toward what he's done. So that changes. Colossians kind of gets at from, from circumcision to baptism is the sign of being a part of the family of God. So for the next 1,500 years, the practice of the early church was to baptize infants. In Acts, you would see all kinds of people getting baptized. Well, baptism was a new thing then. Um, so, you know, infants, adults, a whole gamut. But for 1,500 years, the, the church was continuing to do infant baptism. Here's what ended up happening. Roman Catholic Church, only church in town. So they've got a monopoly, and they could just determine what doctrine was true and what wasn't. And they got to a point where they equated baptism with salvation. Okay. Said, And a lot of this came to families and like, well— you just had a baby. Do you want your baby to be in heaven? Who's not going to say yes to that? Right. And so what the church ended up doing, and these are not proud um, historical moments in the church, but they start charging. Mm. And so if you wanted to have your baby baptized, which you had to do if you wanted to have your baby saved, uh, according to the church teaching of the day, we had to go pay a price uh, to the priest. They'd baptize your baby. Off you go. Your baby's guaranteed a spot in heaven. Mm. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so then Martin Luther comes in and is like, nope, you know, this isn't what we see in the Bible. He goes back to, you know, sola scriptura, Bible only. And some of the changes, one of them was, well, baptism is not salvation. Mm. They're not the same thing. He talked about it being a sign and a symbol. So for the next 150 years, that was the Protestant Reformation, next 150 years, the church still practiced infant baptism. Well, 
Anabaptist movement then came, and out of the Anabaptist movement, they recognized, well, there's still some confusion. There's still some people who are equating baptism with salvation, and so we're just going to move away from that, have a time of dedication for infants, and then have um, believer baptism for adults. So historically speaking, you know, adult baptism's been there all along if an adult was converted and became a follower of Jesus. Right. But infant baptism has also historically been a part of the life of the church throughout its entire history. Properly understood, you know, it, it goes back to circumcision and what Jesus has done for us. So history, I think, is really significant. That's the basic historical um, context of why there is baptizing of babies in in the church. And so what about for the ridge then, Mike? Uh, obviously, I mean, you've obviously thought about this. <clears throat> and as you've just described, there's a lar- large history with this. But with the ridge then, how, how, what approach do we take here and why? Yeah, I think we're, we're really clear, Will, and we try and be with parents and anyone who's looking at baptism. Again, it's not the same thing as salvation. And if it's with a child, there is going to be a need, a day when the child's going to make the faith their own faith. You know, they're going to mm-hmm. make a choice, and not making a choice is making a choice. Um, but at some point in time, we look forward to that day. At the Ridge, we do offer both. And so I'll explain that a little bit. You can have your child baptized as an infant, properly understood. We'll talk through the history, talk through the theology, what it means, what it doesn't mean. At some point in time, you know, they're going to need to accept Jesus as their own personal Savior. So we talk through those kind of things. We also recognize that there can be confusion around this issue. And so if someone would prefer as a family to be able to have dedication for their child— we're open to that as well. We really want the parents to decide. The things that we focus on are pointing toward um, the symbolism and what's underneath it, the grace of God. We all need that in our life. Mm. We all need the Holy Spirit to warm our hearts up, to have a desire to be able to follow Him, and then the promises of God and the promises of God's parents. So if anyone wants to have a kid baptized through the ridge, they're going to need to go through a class. Mm -hmm. And at this class, one of the primary things we do is we focus on, you're the primary spiritual teacher of your kids. That's a big, big responsibility. And we start helping them build some practices and some tools into what does that look like so you can do that in a God-honoring way. Yeah, love that. Thank you for outlining all of that. And particularly the history piece, I think that's really important. Uh, so often in the church, when we find something maybe where there's disagreement, we tend to just kind of see it uh, the here and now, but recognizing that there's hundreds of years of history behind us as well, I think really helps us consider things. But Mike, you you closed your message by saying this, uh, don't spend your life trying to gain what you've already got. Embrace your true identity in Jesus as his beloved daughter or son, and let that shape your life. Can I ask you, how does this truth shape our lives? You know, when we stop striving, looking to earn love and acceptance from God and others, how does it change our lives? Yeah, I think the primary thing that I experience with that is peace, uh, which is an amazing thing to be able to have, especially when I'm talking internal peace. It, It brings us to the point where we can stop searching and we can stop striving to be valued and to be accepted and to measure up. And it's just extremely freeing and life-giving to realize that isn't something that I've got to work so hard to earn. When we try and achieve it, when we try to accomplish it, that doesn't work. You know, trying to find uh, our identity that way, it's like the the goose chase 
without a goose. You're just, you're going to be just running around out there and never being able to find what you're looking for. You know, an example that comes to mind that's fresh, that's, go, that's going on in uh, our context today, one of the most common ways to base our identity today, what's on our sexuality. Mm. That has become kind of front and center. And wherever, there's so many layers to that conversation, but the one that I, I want to just touch on here is the reality of wherever you stand on the issue of what's right or wrong sexually, I think it's so important for us to ask the question, is sexuality the most important thing about me? Because that's kind of the message that we're getting Yes, just by living in this culture is that is the most central fundamental thing about you. And we should ask, is that really who I am? Is that my identity? You know, a century ago, if people would be looking at how we are creating identity now, I think they'd look at that and say, it's really degrading. If you are minimizing the role of a human being down to their sexuality, um, they we're trying to get away from that. You know, where women specifically were uh, being minimized and devalued and just seen as a, a sexual object. Mm. And the reality was, no, there's so much more. And, and now we're kind of, we've kind of gone back to that where, no, mm. we really, sexuality is at the basis for our identity. The Bible is different than that, saying, mm. no, that is not the center of who we are. Is it a part of who we are? Yes. Is it our den- identity? No, it's not our identity. Our identity, we're, we're going to find that when we recognize at the center of it we have been intentionally and specifically, individually created by God. He made you. He made you the way that he did for a reason and for a purpose. And then to recognize with Jesus and what he did and his crucifixion and the resurrection, I'm a child of God. That's my identity. It's accepting Jesus' forgiveness, but also accepting the grace and the love and recognizing I'm valued and I'm loved. And whatever happens throughout this day, just keep that in my mind. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's my identity. I'm a child of God. You know, Mike, just thinking about this earning, trying to earn love and acceptance, it makes me think about the story of the lost son. And interesting that it's named that because really it's a story of two brothers, not just one, both equally distant from the father. But the the, the, the elder brother, we realize in the end that actually he's really been working for his father's approval. To the point then he becomes so frustrated that he, he feels like he's amassed all this credit, you know, relational credit. Then his brother goes out and blows everything, comes back, and his dad throws a party for him. And he's he's angry. He's frustrated. And he says, you know, dad, I, I, I've slaved away for, you know, all of these years. And so it becomes clear then he's been working to be loved. He's been working to be. And what the father basically says to him, everything that I have is yours. You know, in other words, you were loved before you were even born, you know. And so Jesus is giving us this picture of the father that says much the same thing to us, that before we were we even took a breath, before we accomplished anything, you know, in, in work or social relationships, whatever it might be, that we were fully loved. And I think to go back to your original point of peace, that brings great peace because the striving ceases. And think about the lost son as well. He came back and he had nothing to give, Mike. He'd blown everything, you know, he had nothing to give his father. And yet the father embraced him and and celebrated him. And here's the other thing as well, Mike, when it comes to trying to earn 
approval, and I'm thinking specifically our relationship with God, but trying to earn approval with God or even actually with others, we end up misusing things in our lives that God has given for specific purpose. For example, if I use my ability to be able to sing and play as a means to get acceptance and approval from others or from God, I'm misusing what God has given me. And But if, if I am set in that, in my relationship with God, and don't feel that need to earn, I'm free to for him to use that gift in whatever way he wants to. But I'm not using it to earn his love and, and acceptance. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, let me ask you a question about that, because I think that it's uh, one thing to be able to agree with that, mm. which I can agree with that. Yes, yep, yes. true. I'd mark true in the true-false column, right? (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I think that's true. And I think for the most part that followers of Jesus would say, I know I'm loved by God. Mm -hmm. I know I'm accepted by God. I know I'm valued by God. It's still challenging not to um, fall into that rhythm of still seeking to be able to find identity and base that on things outside of myself. Mm -hmm. Even though I know what I've been given, it's still easy just to kind of fall back into that that pattern of feeling like I really do need to merit it in some way. So why do you think that that is? Even though we know that we're, you know, what God has done and what Jesus has done for us, why do we keep falling back into that? Well, one, probably because of the culture that we live in that is uh, so uh, consistent in their pursuit of identifying themselves by things of the world, created things or things within themselves. So that's a pattern that we are surrounded by. Mm. So it's easy to get drawn into that. The other thing I would say, Mike, is that we are just forgetful beings. If you haven't, I'm not, again, I'm saying this to myself, if we haven't realized that we're forgetful beings by now, <laughs> just look at Israel in the Old Testament. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, that, that's an example that was given to us to think. That is why we talk about walking with God. That is why we talk about putting ourselves in a consistent place on a daily basis of opening up the Bible and remembering who God is and remembering who we are in him and remembering what he's called us to. It, the frequency is important. It's not a case mm-hmm. of just, well, I should do that to you know, tick the religious box. Mm-hmm. And no, the, there's purpose in that because we need that truth to wash over us and draw us away from that cultural pull to identify ourselves on who we know, who we work for, you know, the letters after our name, the amount of money that we have in our bank account, the vehicle that we, that sits in our driveway. You know, we're, there's such a pull to, to be identified and to feel legitimate, worthwhile, accepted on the basis of those things. But the Bible teaches us that that's already fully established. And you know what, Mike? When we allow that to sink in on a daily basis, it brings such freedom and peace and joy so that we're not walking into relationships or we're not having to spend money to try and to grasp that, you know, and to to get it somehow. Yeah. That's that's so good, Will. I, I agree. That constant just reminding ourselves and the value of being able to connect with God to find ways to create space for him, to memorize you know, verses in the Bible to, mm. to remind ourselves throughout the day. So vital uh, to be able to have, I think, in the spiritual life to be reminded, yeah, th- this, is, this is who we are. This is what God says about us. Love that. 
We'll feel like we could keep on talking, Mike, on this. There's a lot more to unpack, but we'll have to end it there. Thanks so much again for your time, not only in putting in the, you know, the sermon, but also in your prep for these podcasts. Just very grateful for that. And thank you for listening. Just want to give a quick plug of our current series on the Ridge University podcast channel. It's called Remember the Poor. A few weeks ago, I sat down with two brothers who have been profoundly impacted by the Bible's teaching on the poor and poverty. And they've really stepped out in some amazing ways to meet the basic needs of people, both here locally and internationally. So you're going to hear some of their story there, but also some discussion around what the Bible says about our responsibility when it comes to responding to poverty. So be sure to check that out. Thanks again for being with us. We'll hope you'll join us next time on Beyond the Sermon. I hope you enjoyed our conversation this week. I want to mention one last thing before we go. Our heart at the Ridge is to help people grow in their relationship with God. There are so many ways to get connected into what can be life-changing environments for you and your family. The best way to keep in touch with all that is happening is through our website, ridgelife.org, but also through our weekly e-news. You can sign up to receive this directly to your inbox using the link in our podcast show notes. Finally, thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please feel free to share with friends or family. We hope to catch you next time on Beyond the Sermon.